It would be two Sundays ago I stood here in this room and I shared under the topic of the world by wisdom knew not God. And I shared a little bit at that time with the motivation, the events that had brought that subject to me. I've been observing a debate between John Lennox and Michael Shermer. And during that debate, I became somewhat concerned about the way in which the conversation was proceeding. And I found it was a debate concerning the reality of God. And of course, John Lennox was establishing the facts for God, and Michael Shermer is an atheist, and he was opposed to the idea of a deity or idea of God. Michael Shermer had his people in the audience who were supporting him, and I was concerned that when individuals left the debate, they may be more confirmed in their atheism than they were when they arrived. So I wondered about whether this was a waste of time, and I said within myself, if only Jesus could walk onto the platform, if only Jesus could walk onto the platform and set all this straight, make all this clear. Then, of course, as happens with us, one thought always leads to another, and I've found myself observing that Jesus has made provision to walk onto the platforms of life and to manifest himself in undeniable ways. And that, of course, led me to the scriptures as it always does, and I went to Joel's prophecy concerning the end time and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Father. And so, two weeks ago, I read some of those passages, and I called it the provision promised promise of the provision that would come. Following that, I shared some passages on the provision and the day of Pentecost and how the wonderful outpouring of the Spirit occurred in baptismal measure on the day of Pentecost. At the conclusion of that service, I had not yet addressed the third part of that, which would be the provision in the church. And so this morning, I want to address that provision that is the provision within the church. So I'll begin this morning by reading from Matthew's Gospel. And this is Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 through 20, the familiar passage to us all about the Great Commission. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, what, whatever I commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days until the end of the world. And I underline, I am with you all the days. I am with you. I am with you all the days until the end of the world. And then in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 20, it says, And going out, they proclaimed everywhere the Lord working with them, and confirming the word by miraculous signs following. This, of course, is after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus. He is working with them. And so my question then would be this. So the first question is, which you did he promise to be with? He said, I am with you all the days until the end of the world. So which you did he promise to be with, and which of them did he work with? After his ascension, he was working with them with miraculous signs following. But 
The question then would be, which of them did he work with? And so to respond to, the, to those questions, let me share a little bit about the duality of man in terms of the natural man and the spiritual man. We, of course, are a natural man, and when we are born again of the Spirit of God, of his word and spirit, we become a spiritual man, we become a new man, a new creation in Christ Jesus, The old things pass away and all things become new. So there is an old man. And I will use the term man this morning. And so let me be very clear that I'm not speaking necessarily about gender. I'm speaking about mankind. But I'll use the the old term man, the old man or the new man. But think of that as person, if you like. If If you don't like the term man, think of it as person. But I'm going to use old man and new man. And so there is a new man when he is born again of the Spirit and of the Word. He becomes a new man in Christ Jesus. So he's a new man. The old man is a natural man. And I must say, based on experience and testimony of believers, that the new man, the new man, the born again man, considers himself or herself to be the real person that they have been created to be by God. They feel more at home. They feel more comfortable with themselves, of course, and who they really are. This is who I really, truly am. And they identify that with the new man as opposed to the old man. So which of these two then did these promises, which of these two did he promise to be with and did he work with? And my answer to that is he is his promise is, And that he is working, I am with you all the days, I am with you, which is the new man. And when it says that he worked with them with signs following, is he's working with the new man. This will become more evident as we proceed. I want to examine the upper room and the, on the day of Pentecost, the upper room and the preparation for that room and for that day, for that morning. In John chapter 20, Scripture tells us that Jesus, this is after his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples and we are told he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, we're told that they were all, they all, about 120, They were all in one accord in one place. And this is a miraculous circumstance because they are all 120 about. They're in one accord. They're in unity. They're in agreement. They're in one accord. And they're in one place. Sometimes it's difficult to find two or three people in one accord in one place. Oftentimes in a family, there is no accord, even though there may be two. And they're in one place, but they're not in one accord. But here, they are all in one accord, in one place. And this goes back to the preparation. Jesus breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is not Pentecost. This is prior to Pentecost. He breathed on them and in some translations, he said, admit, receive to yourselves, admit the Holy Spirit. The evidence that they were 
in one accord and in one place, and they're walking in the new man, or as new man, new creations in Christ Jesus, this is the reason why they were in one accord and in one place. So before Pentecost, prior to Pentecost, provision had been made as Jesus had taught his disciples during a period of 40 days. He had ministered the word to them. He had breathed breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is prior to Pentecost. And the purpose and the promise of Pentecost is to equip the new man. Is to equip the new man. Not to equip the old man because the old man is transformed. He has been subjugated. He hasn't disappeared, but he is overruled. There's a new man that has taken his place as authority within that individual. And the purpose of Pentecost is to equip that new man. And so for the provision for the new man, we find, of course, Jesus, his words to Nicodemus, and he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that we must be born again in order to see the kingdom of heaven. He went on to say that there's a, those that are born of flesh are flesh, and those that are born of the spirit are spirit. And in 1 Peter, we're told that we are born again by the incorruptible word. The concept of a new kind of man or the new man as opposed to the old man, of course, we find that in type form in the Old Testament, perfectly illustrated in the life of Jacob, whose name was Deceiver. He was known as a deceiver, a person with regard to deception. And following his wrestling with the angel, his name was changed to Israel. And so we find the name of Jacob being changed to Israel indicates a change in his identity. And so we find that as a type in the Old Testament. The words of the apostle in Second Corinthians chapter 5. He writes, if anyone is in Christ, behold, that one is a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the new man. And so the thinking changes. And when the thinking changes, then the feelings or emotions change. The goals, objectives, hopes, dreams change. Temperament changes radically. A capacity for learning, capacity for understanding, the interest levels all change. And this is the difference again between the old man, the natural man, the old man, and the new man. I'm going to share quite a bit this morning about this new man because it's very, very important to distinguish between these two. In Ephesians 4 and verse 22, For you ought to put off the old man according to your way of living before who is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you should put on the new man who, according to God, was created in righteousness and true holiness. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Colossians 3. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of of him that created him. So put off the old man with his deeds, put on the new man 
which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him or the likeness of him that created him. This is powerful. This is absolutely powerful and marvelous. And so the distinction is clearly made in Scripture between the old man and the new man. And Pentecost came for the new man. Pentecost was poured out upon the new man, not the old man. And this tremendous transition had occurred within the disciples of Jesus prior to the upper room experience. Pentecost was necessary for Christ to be manifested in and through his followers. It would be the work of the comforter, that the promised one who would come, the promise of the father, the paraclete, the advocate who was promised and would come whom Jesus said, it's expedient that I go away. Because if I do not go away, he cannot come. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And so Pentecost was necessary for Christ to be manifested in and through his followers. And this is the work of the Comforter to do that. It's precisely what he does. So that when Jesus had said, the works that I do, you will do also. This is exactly what the ministry of the Comforter is is to perform those works of Christ in and through the follower of Christ, the believer. And so in this sense, he walked onto the stage in them and he spoke through them according to the way established on Pentecost. And the way established on Pentecost, again, is that they heard the sound. They were in the upper room at 9 o'clock in the morning and suddenly, from heaven, a sound came to them from heaven. The sound was uh, couldn't be described exactly, and so it was compared to the sound of a rushing mighty wind. It was not a wind. It was not a rushing mighty wind. But the sound was like that. It didn't come from the sky. It didn't come from up in the sky. It came from heaven. I've been reading some of the most eminent commentators on this and I have done for many years and I'm amazed at how they will say this was not a wind because it is compared to a wind but it's not a wind it's not fire it's compared to fire but it's not fire that they saw and yet very soon you'll find them talking about the wind and talking about the fire it's important we understand this and the idea is that there was a sound that came from heaven They heard the sound. The sound gathered people from Jerusalem. It was a mighty sound. The sound materialized so that it could be seen. And the only way the writer could describe it would be tongues of fire as they separate when you have a large fire and the flames go up at the top and they separate from the body of the flame. And he said that the sound began to separate and was distributed and began to rest on each of those assembled in the upper room. This is the way established at Pentecost. This is the idea of Pentecost. This is that which comes from heaven, right from heaven, from the throne of God, from the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from heaven. And it comes to the believer 
and is manifested in and through the believer. This is the way established at Pentecost. An example of this is found in Acts chapter 6, and this deals with Stephen. It says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen had been in the upper room. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. They were unable to resist. Why were they unable to resist? See, many debates and I have watched, I see that the unbeliever is able to, not only able to resist, but sometimes very capable in resisting. And there are times when it seems as if the atheist or agnostic, the unbeliever, is better equipped than is the believer. I'm not saying that's the case of Dr. Lennox, but I'm saying that sometimes that occurs. But we're told that they were unable to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. A number of years ago, when this concept first began to emerge and I began to understand it more clearly, I had this idea of Ted Koppel. And years ago, I would watch Ted Koppel every night when he was on. And I enjoyed him, and he was a very, um, very intelligent man. He asked some very probing questions, and uh, I found him to be somewhat formidable in his conversations. And so the idea came to me of Stephen going on the program with Ted Koppel. And so I had this play out in my mind a little bit about uh, Stephen and a conversation with Ted Koppel and how that conversation would go. And I came back to these words again. It says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Why? Because he was receiving words, wisdom, ideas, and thoughts from heaven. The principle of Pentecost is continuing. The principle of Pentecost continued. And we find it continuing throughout the book of Acts. And it is intended to continue now. And we need it now. And it's intended to be for now. And so on Pentecost, a manifested sound from heaven sat on each of them, and the Spirit permitted each one to speak that sound to the assembled throng. The miracle was not in the ears of the throng. It was in the mouths of those who spoke. And the provision did not cease after the day of Pentecost was completed. It went with them as they began to fulfill the Great Commission. The, this enablement was operating with Stephen during his debates. And the combination of words and spirit was unanswerable. And the enemies were able to resist only by resorting to other means. They needed to resort to violence and falsehoods being leveled against Stephen because they could not answer him in terms of words and ideas and thoughts because the wisdom that was provided to Stephen did not originate with Stephen. It originated from heaven. And it came to Stephen and he was permitted to speak it. This is the idea and the principle of Pentecost. The book of Acts describes the operation of this provision in detail in the lives of Peter and Paul and others as 
testimony to the resurrection of Jesus was carried throughout the known world. And no reasonable person would conclude that a time may come when this provision would be withdrawn. Let me just say that again. No reasonable person would conclude that a time may come when this provision would be withdrawn. And some have concluded that. And I realize it sounds perhaps somewhat lofty to say that no reasonable person would conclude, but I must say that. I must say that. To say that would be counterintuitive. This provision was necessary, and the disciples could not leave home without it. Even Apollos, who was mighty in the Scriptures, required the provision to be made clearer to him. He already was mighty in the Scriptures, but he needed the principle and the essence and the spiritual dynamic of Pentecost to be explained more clearly to him. And as essential as the canon of Scripture is, it does not replace the need for the provision of Pentecost, but rather it illuminates and testifies to that provision. But here is the important point that we'll talk about this morning. But we must not forget, must never forget, that this provision is for the new creation and not the old one. Again in Second Corinthians, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It is the new man, the new me, that will receive from heaven and manifest into the earth. And I would say this new man is the real me. It's the real me. It's the real you, the new person. The old man, the natural me, will not receive from heaven. And no matter how much noise the old man makes, God's promises of guidance and protection are designed for the new man. And that new man is made possible by the atonement of Christ. The Comforter has been sent in baptismal measure to the new man, not the old one. The unregenerate world cannot receive him, and what that means is it cannot receive him as the Comforter. The unregenerate world can receive his influence as to convict of sin, but the unregenerate world cannot receive him as Comforter. Again in Ephesians chapter 4, For you ought to put off the old man, according to your way of living before, who is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you should put on the new man, who according to God was created in righteousness and true holiness. Now note this. Think about this. Note that Jesus uh, breathed on his disciples first, after his resurrection. He came to them immediately and he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he ministered his word personally to them during 40 days. And then he sent the promise of the Father upon them 10 days after that. And there's a sequence here. There's a timeline, if you like. There's a sequence here. And the sequence, what, it, what the sequence does is it births the new man. It permits the new man to be born, if you like. It births him to whom the promise is given. And so the new man is birthed, but the promise 
is given to the new man, not to the old original man. Now I'm going to share a little bit with this as a foundation for the things that I will share in the closing portion. We are experiencing a global pandemic now called COVID-19. The infectious rate is high, and since there is no natural immunity, many immune systems are unable to defend well against it. There are many unknowns right now, and testing lags far behind the reality of potential infections. And this leads to widespread shutdowns and social distancing, necessary or not, is difficult to know right now. One very important question is this. As a Christian, am I responding to all of this in my natural old man, natural, the old man? Because you see, we do have both. We do have access to both as a Christian. The old person is there, but the new is to rule over the old. We're not to walk or live according to the old, but according to the new. But there's a duality here. It's the same person. There's not two people. There's one person. But there is a duality here. And so the question is, as a Christian, am I responding to all of this in my natural, the old personality, the old man, or from my new man or my new position in Christ? Am I walking in the flesh or in the spirit? If I am claiming Psalm 91 and walking in my flesh nature, those promises are not given to my flesh nature. The spirit baptism at Pentecost was poured out on new men, not on old men. This is essential to understand. Provision for the new birth and the resulting newness of life was necessary to enable the fullness of Pentecost to arrive. And that truth has not changed. We must be examined by the Spirit and Word to determine our standing. A just civil law is ordained of God for us to obey. The new man will follow just civil laws and respect the officials who enforce them. The old man will view everything from a selfish, personally preferred point of view. But the moment a civil law violates God's law, this is very important, but the moment a civil law violates God's law, the new man will obey God without regard to consequence. COVID-19 will be looked back on by followers of Jesus as an opportunity to prepare. There are many more serious threats ahead of us just prior to the return of Jesus. The point is, Christians who are walking in the Spirit as new creations in Christ will receive direction, protection, and strength to overcome. Heaven's promises and resources belong to them. And even if it means their death, an abundance of grace will usher them into the Lord's presence. Are we living in this position of promise? Christians who are walking in the strength of their old man, the natural man who is religious, are not positioned for overcoming resources. Now, these are very serious things to consider, and now is the time to do that. The carnal man is very religious. He delights in all the external practices of devotion. Claiming scriptural promises in a time of danger may calm his fear, but heaven's provision is reserved for upper room followers. This is a time of testing to prepare and change 
if necessary. I'm going to close this morning with these words. This is actually a privileged time to be alive as the consummation of this age occurs. It will be devastating for for carnal mankind whose hearts will fail them because of the things coming upon the earth. But for the upper room man, it will be a time of unprecedented spiritual harvest as he listens for the trumpet to sound. Let me just present that last portion one more time. It will be devastating for carnal mankind whose hearts will fail them because of things coming upon the earth. But for the upper room man, it will be a time of unprecedented spiritual harvest as he listens for the trumpet to sound.